chapter 1, verse 18 to 24. Now, the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph spoke, when Joseph awoke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took her as his wife. The, the word of the Lord. Good morning, Highland. Um, I can't see you, but it's good to be with you now. And I gotta confess, as I was watching the video, I, I saw that footage of us in the uh, atrium talking together and, and being close to one another, and it, I am ready, I am excited for that day that's coming in the future where we are together back in this building again. But until then, I am grateful uh, for all of the ways that you have engaged in our mission here in Abilene and the world and even here at our church. Uh, and I look forward to hearing more and more stories about the way that God has worked in our lives in 2020. Recently, the New York Times put out a challenge to its readers and, and challenged them to write a six-word story. Now, if you don't know what that is, the most famous is uh, by Hemingway, but it's, it's basically a very tight art form where you've got to tell a story in just six words. And it's more challenging than you think it would. For instance, some of the, 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 the highlights came out uh, this year was not a criminal, but running mask. A six-word story. I regret saying I hate school. Read every book in the house. Now, as an introvert, I can't tell if this one's like an amazing story of like an achievement. I read every book in this house or a terrifying horror story of, I've read every book in the house. What do I do? 
Uh, this one is my favorite, though. Socially distancing myself from the fridge. And so I want to challenge you to think about what would you write if you were to write a, your, your, your six-word story for this Christmas season? You know, maybe, maybe if you don't want to do it for this year, think about your best Christmas memory and write, think about what, what are those six words that tell that story? Or if it's your least favorite memory, what, what would that look like, a six-word story? It's, it's a really fun art form. So what I'd like you to do is take a minute, and if you're with somebody uh, watching this online together, then I want you to tell them your six-word story. It's the story of Christmas. Maybe it's your favorite or your, your least favorite or just this year's Christmas. What's the meaning of Christmas for you? But the rule is you can only tell it in six words. Now, if you're watching this on your own, I would love for you to get out your phone and text somebody your six-word story. Now, it would probably help if they're in our church they, so they know what you're doing, but you can surprise them. I don't care. We're going to take just like 35, 45 seconds. I want you to think out that six-word story and, and tell somebody else. Ready? Go. Okay, about uh, five seconds to finish up. And if you're online, you can just pause this. Take as long as you need. It's okay. No big deal. Uh, I wish I'd thought of that beginning. I would have just told you to do this. We wouldn't have had this 30 seconds of dead air. Moving on. All right, so the, the most famous six-word story, the best six-word story of all time is by Hemingway. And it goes like this. Baby shoes for sale, never used. And I got to tell you the truth. If you let that six words sit in your mind, you can unfold that story for hours. There's so much depth to that. And that's the beauty of this, this um, art form of just trying to tell a story in a very succinct, very efficient way. And so in our, our text today, what I was thinking about is what would be the sixth word story for Joseph in this situation? He's, he's just found out that his fiance is pregnant and he's about to be visited by an angel. Maybe that six word story might be something like Mary's pregnant, not mine, everyone knows. There's a piece of the story that's it's about um, scandal versus, versus righteousness. And there's kind of two ways to understand scandal. Scandal is, is on one hand, it's, it's the story in your family or in your life that everybody knows and nobody talks about. It's the thing that happened that, that everybody has an idea of what it, what it is, but nobody actually says what it is, which is kind of a mystery, because how does everyone know if no one ever talks about it? The other definition of a, of a scandal is a, is a public moral or ethical disgrace that invites outrage from everybody else. Somebody did something wrong, everybody knows what it is, and everybody's pretty upset about it. And I think it's at this point in the sermon where if, if I was preaching normally, I'd, I'd want to tell you about a scandal in my family so you could kind of understand, put some flesh and bones onto it. But this is not the year for me to talk about that. But, but maybe it's happened in your family. Like we mentioned last week, maybe the, the birthday and the wedding day got flipped and everyone kind of knew. Or that person at your Christmas table that was gone for five to ten years and 
Everybody knows why, but nobody really talks about it. This is the thing that I love about Matthew. Matthew isn't afraid to let it all come out. You want to know about Jesus' family? There's a few skeletons in his genealogy. You want to know about the pregnancy? The story is salacious. And it's not like Matthew's trying to get ahead of the story. Matthew's not trying to do PR so that he tells you so that nobody else will. Because Matthew jumps into the scandal of the story because the antidote to scandal is righteousness. And so just for a minute, I want to fast forward to a different story in the life of Jesus. This one's in John. Jesus is, is, is found in a trap. The Pharisees and the leaders of the people have set a trap for him. And they've, they've used this woman that's been caught in the act of adultery. And he said, they look at him and they say, what are you going to do? Are you going to stone, stone her like the law says? Or are you going to have mercy and disobey God? Because either you're going to be responsible for killing someone or disobeying God. Jesus, what are you going to do? They set a trap and... They don't care about the woman. They don't care about anything in this situation other than catching Jesus. And there's so much to say about that text, but I just want to zero in on one thing. Jesus is able, in one sense, to provide judgment on those that are out to get him. To provide truth, to illuminate how to interpret God's law. And also to provide mercy. And the way that he does that is his righteousness. Because he is a righteous person. And maybe, maybe Mary, maybe this would be her six-word story. Joseph knows, but he's still here. Let's pray together. Father God, in this season where we long for hope and joy, peace and love, we invite your presence into our world, into our lives. As you came as a baby, we ask that you come in the power of your spirit to change us, to renew our hearts and our minds, to make us yours. And in this moment, as we turn our hearts and our minds to your word, I pray that you pour through me the gift of preaching that I might speak truth in your love to these, your people. And it's together that the church says, amen. Okay, so here's the facts about this, this story that you need to realize. Joseph and Mary aren't engaged, but engagement in the first century is a lot different than engagement in, in our current culture. Engagement in the first century usually lasted about a year, and it was a contractual agreement. You had to get a public divorce in your engagement if you were going to call it off. It was the same thing as, as being married now. It's not like you could just give the ring back and say, hey, I'm really not that interested anymore. It was a serious deal. And if it turned out, this is according to Deuteronomy 22:23, that your fiancé was uh, found pregnant and it wasn't you, you could take her and the other guy to the city gates and stone them both. But by the first century, this was a really, this was a less common as a punishment for uh, those that found themselves pregnant. And so one of the questions that we come to in this text is that, that Matthew calls Joseph righteous. Is it that Joseph is going to divorce Mary because he is righteous? 
he's following the law because he's righteous? Is that what makes him righteous? Or is it that he's going to divorce her quietly because he's righteous? He's going to choose to avoid the scandal. Righteousness is not a badge. It's not a pin you can put on your shirt when you get in the morning. It's not a hat or a mask you put on your face as you walk out the door. Righteousness is earned. It's earned through a lifestyle of making choices that reflect wisdom and God's heart through being careful in the things that you do. And can you imagine how Jesus' life might have been different if Joseph hadn't decided to adopt his son? If Joseph had chosen to ignore the angel and continue with the divorce? I mean, just think for a minute about what God is asking Joseph to do. To bear up under the scandal. To marry her anyway. Even though everyone knows the kid isn't his. And hardly anyone is going to believe that God did it. Every day for the rest of his life, when Joseph walks into the market... People are going to look at him, and they might mutter or whisper. But on the other hand, God chose Joseph. God chose Joseph to adopt his son. Where Mary is passive in Luke, Mary says, let it be as the Lord has said, Joseph is given commands. And it's in this text that, that Matthew chooses to quote Isaiah chapter 7. And I want to provide kind of the context of what's happening in Isaiah 7 so we understand fully what it means when, when Matthew calls Jesus Emmanuel. In Isaiah chapter 7, beginning in verse 9, if you do not stand firm in faith, you shall not stand at all. Now, this is what God is saying to the king, Ahaz, about a problem that Ahaz is having. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz saying, ask a sign of your Lord God. Let it be as deep as as Sheol, that's kind of the, the underworld, or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I won't put the Lord God to the test. Now, at first glance, this sounds like pious faith. Oh, God, I don't want to force you to give me a sign, so please, don't even, I won't even ask you to prove that this is your will. It sounds like faith, but it's not. It's kind of like Ahaz is taking that uh, pro uh, policy of don't ask, don't tell. Because if I don't ask God what he wants me to do, then I don't exactly have to do it. The problem that Ahaz is facing is that his, his nation, the, the nation of Judah, is under siege. And it's really kind of a punch in the gut because one of the invaders, he's being, forced, he's being attacked by two sides. One of the invaders is Syria, which is kind of a, an enemy that Israel has had for a long time. But the other is Ephraim. It's northern Israel. His own kinsmen are partnering with uh, foreigners to attack him. And so this is a dangerous situation, but it's also an insulting situation. And God says, if you don't stand on faith, you're not going to stand at all. Then Isaiah said, hear then, O house of David. Now I want you to realize there that he's not talking to Ahaz anymore. He's talking to the kingdom. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive and you shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. 
King Ahaz is being confronted by two powerful armies, but he has an ace in the hole. He has an ally called Assyria, different than Syria, Assyria. It's a different nation. And it is the world's superpower of the day. There's kind of two at this moment. There's Assyria in the north and Egypt in the south. Egypt is losing power and kind of fading away. Assyria is growing in power. And Ahaz knows all I have to do is ally with Assyria and I'm going to be just fine. The problem with making a deal with Assyria is that it's going to cost you way more than you would ever want. Assyria is going to take way more than you could possibly imagine. And the problem is is that Isaiah doesn't want Ahaz to trust in Assyria. He wants him to trust in God. And so, don't ask, I'm not going to ask you for a sign. Well, God's going to give you one anyway. God's going to force you to choose. And the sign is going to be a baby. Ahaz doesn't need a baby. A baby can't hold a sword. A baby can't save his kingdom. And maybe that's where this story hits close to home. The baby's name is Emmanuel, which means God is with us. This is from Leonard Vanderzee. We usually think of salvation in terms of us with God, not God with us. Because honestly, us with God is what we want. We want sick people to be healed. We want war turned to peace. We want hurt made whole. That one day we're going to be taken up into the clouds with gold roads and all of the other things that happen in heaven. This may be the end of the story, us with God, but it's not the beginning. The beginning of the story is God with us. Ahaz doesn't want a baby. He wants an army. And I think sometimes we don't want Emmanuel. We want solutions. But what this means is that God is not afraid of the scandal. God is not afraid of the messiness of your life. In the same way that Joseph had to walk into the market holding his head up high, he did not walk into that market alone because God was with him. God is with us. Even in the brokenness of our choices, even in the mistakes of our past, even in the filth of our sin, God is with us. It's not exactly what Ahaz wanted, but it's what God gave. But the beauty of this story in Christmas, the beauty of this chapter in Advent is that this baby, born in Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago, has two names. His name is Emmanuel. God is with us. But it's also Jesus or Yeshua, which is similar to Joshua, which means Savior. The promise of this Christmas is not just that God is going to enter into the world and endure our mess, but that one day God is going to make it right. And it's going to happen through God's own righteousness, God's own self giving, life pouring blood. And that gives us peace. And so you may this week, as you go about your day, 
as you bear up under all of the weight of everything that you've had to deal with. Know that God is with you. God loves you. And he's going to bring you home. May you be filled with God's spirit. May you experience his peace. May you go in peace.